Well, today we are so thankful to have with us Roger Storms. Roger serves as one of our advisors and was a key voice in leadership transitions that we looked at uh, as a church over the last couple of years. You see, Roger, he led his church through a similar transition uh, just a few years prior to us, and we are so thankful for the, the leadership and the voice that he has had for us, as you could say, out of the overflow of his heart uh, for our church and its future. Uh, and that's what this series is all about, this idea that, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so as Roger comes uh, to bring a word for us out of the overflow of his heart, and he speaks to us, would you join me in welcoming Roger Storms uh, to the stage here at First Christian? <laughs> Thank you all. Brother, you killed it on the guitar today. Just want you to know that. That was amazing. Appreciate that. Some of you might be missing Pastor Brian today. Uh, Pastor Brian had back surgery. Some of you know he's had a bad back, and uh, he had back surgery. He's recovering very well. I got a picture with him, his tongue hanging out, and I'll show it to you afterwards if you want. But uh, keep him in your prayers as he continues to recuperate. Everybody knows here that the first day or two, you're on pain medication, and then the pain hits. So uh, keep he and uh, Jessica in your prayers. Uh, it has been my joy to serve with you here uh, in the advisor capacity. I was pastor of a church. I was in ministry 42 years and, and retired five years ago as a pastor of church, Compass Christian Church in Chandler, Arizona. We, Nancy and I, and my wife is over here. Would you welcome my wife here? Is Nancy. Um, we, um, we led that church for 29 years from 100 to 2600. And I said, I give up. And so we handed it off, and it's my pleasure to work with the elders here and the staff here in that transition process. Now, I know that last weekend, if you were, how many were here last weekend and heard, okay, Pastor Mike uh, talked about how long you had to live, and I had so many people say, it was like depressing to how many days we had left. So I'm here to bring you good news. Would you like to have some good news today? I'm going to give you some good news. God loves First Christian Church. He loves you passionately. He loves you like a groom that's looking down the aisle as his lovely bride enters in. He sees her as beautiful and, and, and precious, and he's so in love with her, and he is so in love with you. He knows every person here, and he loves you anyway. He sees every problem. He, he knows all the potential that you have. He weeps when you weep. He laughs when you laugh. He sees you, this church, First Christian, as the hope for this community. He sees you, this church, as the hope for this, this uh, city. He sees you as the hope for this state, the hope for this nation, the hope for this world. Jesus sees you as the hope. Remember Jesus said this. He said, remember the miracles I did? You can do even more than these. In John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He sees you with unlimited potential. The Apostle Paul says we have unlimited power. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or can even imagine. I love that statement. Because I can imagine some whoppers, can't you? What God can do with this church. But who can do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or even imagine according to the power of his work within us. To him be the glory in First Christian Church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Jesus said not even the devil and hell is stronger than this church. 
In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of your confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome it. And Jesus said, your mission here is worldwide. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Folks, God loves you and is passionate about you. And I could go on and on and on, but I'll stop here and just simply said, you are winners. When we're in Christ, we're in his church, we are the victors. And everybody wants to be part of a winner. So if this is how God feels about this church, if this is how God feels about you, what kind of church do we need to be to live up to his calling? Well, as read for you a little earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we see what God wants this church, what God wants his church, what God wants First Christian Church to be. And there are several things. First of all, he wants you to be a surrendered church. He wants you to be a surrendered church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of, Thessalon the church of Thessalonians in, circle that word in if you're a note taker, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Now the little preposition um, uh, phrase, in, is a primary preposition. It's a preposition that denotes place. And so he says you are in Christ Jesus. You're in him. And the word church, of course, means the called out one. So we've been called out of this world to be in Christ, serving him, to be surrendered to him. For the Thessalonians, it was Jesus first and everything else second, as it should be for us as his church today. When I was a kid growing up in church, much like a church like this one, um, our family was very close to the pastor and his family and uh, leaders. And so uh, sometimes uh, my parents would invite the pastor and his wife and other, elder, other people in the church down to their house and they'd play games and stuff. And the kids would go down in the basement. You all have basements here? Uh, they would go down in the basement and we would play games. And sometimes we would play church. And it was always so much fun. We would, uh, somebody would be the song leader and somebody would be designated to be the preacher and some of us in the crowd and um, somebody would be taking up an offering. It was always my brother and we never figured out where the money went that he collected, so <laughs> the whole other issue. Um, but we played church. But you know, the, the problem is as kids, that's fun, but we can't play church today. Not in our day and time. The Thessalonians did not play church they, they adopted what I've adopted as one of my life verses. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ surrendered him, himself for us. And we need to give and surrender ourselves to him. The problem is that's so hard to do so. Someone as well said, it's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that makes it sink. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? And I would tell you, it's not the Christian in the world, but it's the world in the Christian that makes us sink and sometimes stink when it comes to our witness. I don't see that in your church. Decatur is a church that has uh, have served and has surrendered as demonstrated by you being here and your outreach into the world. But we need to be reminded that God wants this church to be a surrendered church and secondly, to be a serving church. To be a serving church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, 
We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced. Circle the word work. Again, if you're a note taker. The word there is synagogue in the Greek. It's the word we get energy from. Your energy that's produced by your faith. And your uh, labor. Circle the word labor. Your labor uh, prompted by love. The word there, kopas, means to be uh, working, fervi- uh, f- uh, working furiously. That's not the right word. Working with power. Working and not giving up. Continue to work with energy and, and labor uh, prompted by love. And your endurance. Um, the word, again, there is one that's endurance until the job is completed. Your endurance inspired by hope in Christ Jesus. Notice the, the work of faith, the labor of love, and your endurance by hope. Everyone had a job to do it, and everyone did their job. And I see that here. So many of you serve. So many of you work. It's an amazing church when it comes to your volunteerism and your service. Someone said that the world's measure, the world's measure of a person's greatness is by the number of people who serve him. Heaven's measure for greatness is the number of people who are served by him. It's not self-service. It's serving others that God calls us to do. Remember Jesus in the upper room? They were gathered together, and as they were gathering, the men came in one after another, and Jesus knelt down and took the basin and the towel and washed their feet. Can you imagine the silence in the room when Jesus was completed? You really see also washed the feet of Judas, the one who would later that day betray him? And when Jesus completed the task, he said, now that I, as your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. But that's not the normal turn of that phrase, is it? Normally we'd say, now that I've washed your feet, you should wash my feet. But Jesus taught us what the mark of being a Jesus follower is. The mark of being a Jesus follower is to be a servant of all. And you've done that in such an effective way. First Christian Church, to be what God wants you to be, happy and effective, you must be a serving church. And thirdly, you need to be a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the apostle says, For we know, beloved, uh, brothers beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, dunamis. We get dynamite from it. From, with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. It means fullness, with deep fullness. With power and deep fullness, the Holy Spirit filled them. Now, unfortunately, in our churches today, we've begun to be a little afraid of the Holy Spirit. We know churches where it's different, <laughs> and sometimes we think maybe a little weird. Um, but we're, because of that, we're a little afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I know that this church has a long-standing history of being led by the Spirit of God, uh, commending the Spirit of God. Uh, It uh, it follows the process of being part of the Spirit of God. But I wonder, I wonder if God removed His Holy Spirit from our lives. If God removed the Holy Spirit from this church, would we even notice? Would our lives be different if His Holy Spirit was not in us? Would this church be different if the Holy Spirit was removed? And I'll tell you, that is a critical thing that we each one need to consider in our lives and in our church. Maybe we should continually be asking, since we are filled with the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit, what can we do and what should we do as God's church?
And with that mark of evaluation, we should be able to do the unthinkable. We should be able to do the remarkable in his kingdom. You see, for us to be the church that God wants us to be, we need to be surrendered and serving and spirit-filled. And number four, we need to be a steadfast church. We need to be a steadfast church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the apostle says, You know how he lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in the midst of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now he says, in the midst of severe suffering. Uh, literally, the word there is in much suffering. In much suffering. Friends, listen, in the days ahead, we are going to increasingly be living in a post-Christian culture. We have all seen it in just the last few years. In fact, it seemed like it was like we were in a Christian culture. We're in a post-Christian culture, doesn't it? And that is increasingly the mark that we're going to be living in. And as a result of that, we may be facing more and more opposition and oppression. I will tell you, we will be facing more and more opposition and oppression. See, if anybody ever said to you that being a Christian was going to be easy, they lied. It's not. It's a challenge because our enemy is strong. And we need to recognize that it's just not going to be that way. In fact, Jesus himself told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, it's possible that you could have trouble. Is that what it says? In this world, maybe you'll have some trouble. Is that what it says? No. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And if Jesus says it, take it to the bank. But he said, don't lose heart, for I have overcome this world. I have overcome the world. My friends, the mark of a true believer is the ability to endure hardship and remain faithful. That really is the scar of a believer to go through hard times, tough times, opposition and remain faithful to him. Some of you know and many of you don't that my wife and I had a son that was born in 1981 with a genetic disorder called hemophilia which means that his blood did not clot. Um, it's not surface wounds, that's platelets, but internally he would bang an elbow, bang a knee, bang a head, whatever, and it would begin to bleed like a concussion and it wouldn't stop bleeding until he was treated with a, a, a product that was derived from human blood plasma. Now think of a toddler who's learning to walk and how many times they fall down and bang an elbow, bang a knee, bang their head, bang their chest. For us, it meant a trip to the hospital until we learned to start those infusions by ourselves and we gave them human clotting factor derived from human blood. And in the time when Jeremy was born in 1981, uh, there was a season where uh, the blood supply was tainted with HIV. And as a result, when Jeremy was just a youngster, we received notification that he indeed was HIV positive. In 1996, at 15, he passed away due to AIDS. Um, but he was a believer. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart. And I could tell you a long time, we could tell you lots of stories, a story of his faith. But one time, about a year and a half before he passed away, he was so grievously ill. Uh, he was emaciated in his body. His body was very small because of what he went through. And uh, one day he woke up and he just could not keep anything down. He was just overwhelmed by nauseousness. And um, uh, Nancy called me. I came home. Uh, Jeremy would uh, lay on the tile floor in our bathroom because it was cool. 
And when he had a wave come, he would get up and put his hands on the edge of the toilet. And I'd watch him. We'd watch him as every muscle that he had would tense and strain as he was trying to throw something out. He would, he would get on his toes trying to get something out, but there was nothing there. And he would do that until that time passed. And then he would lay back down on the floor until the next wave came. And it was like that all day long. We couldn't do anything. And one day he turned and looked at his mom. And he said, Mom, I don't know how anyone who doesn't know Jesus could get through this. Steadfastness. Endurance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work. Kopos again, work till exhaustion. The work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. To be the church God loves, you need to be a church that stands in faith and stands on his word no matter what comes. Amen? Amen. No matter what comes. For first Christian church to be the God wants, it, it must be a steadfast church and it must be a soul winning church. It must be a soul winning church. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has been known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Circle that word, rang out. It rang out. The word that is there, it means that it was like the town crier. Remember in the old days? 12 o'clock and all is well. It was a message that went out so that everyone could hear it. It's like in the old days when farmers would holler across the hollow to their neighbor on the other side. It was like when you say to your kids, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. It's a long, solid message that everyone receives. And we need to remember that the church's mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. There's a lot of good things that we do. There's a lot of things, amazing things that you do as a church. But never forget that your primary mission is to help people of this community find and around the world find and follow Jesus. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And notice the text tells us how they even did this. It says they used their mouths. They used their mouths. The, the Lord's message rang out from you. They talked about Jesus wherever they were. When they went from house to house, they moved from town to town, they talked about Jesus. They talked about Jesus in the workplace. They talked about Jesus in the home. They talked about Jesus in the street. They talked about Jesus in their club. They talked about Jesus with their friends. Jesus is on their lips. The Lord's message rang out. And they used their lives. Paul says you're Faithfulness in God has become known everywhere. Everybody's not only heard you, but they've seen your faith-driven lives. And that's what God wants. It's just not what you say, but how you live. Because let me tell you, friends, people are watching. They're watching all the time. If they know you're a Christian, and they should because you talk about Jesus... They're watching to see if it's true, if it's real. I have a, a nephew-in-law who's a pastor of a church in Las Vegas. Yes, they have great churches in Las Vegas. <laughs> he was telling me that one Saturday, he and a group of men were talking about a men's retreat in a coffee shop, do a lot of business in the coffee shop, and they were talking about Jesus, and they prayed together and whatever, and there was a young lady sitting next to him, and he said, I noticed that she was listening intently to what we said. And at one point, he looked at her, and she said, may I ask you, are you Christians? And they said, yes, we are. 
we go to such and such church? And, and she said, oh. And he said, can I tell, ask you about your story? And she said, well, I moved out here a few months ago from Chicago. And I really don't know why, but I felt like God wanted me to move. And I know no one. I have no friends. I have no family. I don't know anybody in this place. So Patrick said, why don't you come to our church on Sunday? I'd love to see you there. So on Sunday morning, the next day actually, uh, he noticed that she came walking in and after service, he walked up to her and tears were streaming down her cheeks. And he said, how was your experience today? And she said, I found my family. Folks, friends are watching all the time, all the time. They want to hear what you say and they want to see how you live. So let me ask you a penetrating question. How many people are going to be in heaven because of you? Not because of this church, yes. I mean, it should be the church's mission to find and, and help people find and follow Jesus. But how many people are going to be in heaven because of you? By what you say and how you live. First Christian, God wants you to be a church that's growing and thriving and to be a soul-winning church. And then finally, number six, to be the church that God has called you to be, you need to be a second coming church. You need to be a second coming church. Um, and we need to always be looking up. Every time you hear a trumpet blast, you need to look up. Could be Jesus coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son in heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming death. I said a good news for you. One day, one glorious day, we're going to be with him or he's going to come to be with us. And oh, what a day that will be. Amen? Amen. What a day that will be. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, at the end of the book, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord. How long? How long? Forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I went to Ozark Christian College, and we had a professor, a great professor, who used to uh, say this and respond this way when someone asked him how he was doing. He would say, perhaps today. Perhaps today. It's easy to miss that. It's easy to lose that anticipation as we go through the hardship of life. But let me encourage you every morning to wake up and say, maybe this is the day. And it will change your day and change your life. First Christian, to be what God wants you to be, that exciting, expecting church, you must be a second coming church. Let's review very quickly, shall we? What does God want First Christian Church to be? He wants you to be a surrendered church. He wants you to be a serving church. He wants you to be a steadfast church, a spirit-filled church, a soul-winning church, and a second coming church. 
I told you that I grew up in a church and went to Sunday school probably every Sunday of my life. I don't think it was very few that we missed. And uh, in the church service that I went to and the classes that I went to, our teachers would uh, oftentimes, when we were little, do this little thing. See if you remember this. They would say, okay, boys and girls, put your hands together. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. How many of you remember that, okay? You remember? Okay, put your stuff down because you're going to do it with me. You ready? Everybody, put your fingers inward and say, uh, here's the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. Good. One more time. Ready? Here we go. I want it to be practical for you, okay? So you got some take home with. Here we go. Ready? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. Isn't that cool? Well, one Sunday, um, a Sunday school teacher had started her class with four-year-olds, and um, she was well into it when there was a knock at the door, and uh, someone said, we have a family visiting today, and they would like their little girl to come to class. Is that okay? And she said, we'd love to have them come to class. And so the teacher reached out her hand to take the little girl's hand. When she did, she realized that she didn't have a hand. In fact, her arm ended with just a stump uh, just above the elbow. And she didn't know if that was a birth defect or whether it was an accident. Um, but she noticed that she was in a class of four-year-old kids. And four-year-old kids notice differences like that, you know, four eyes and whatever. And she knew that they could be cruel. They don't intend to be cruel. They just notice things and say things. And so she worked really hard during that class time to not bring this little girl to embarrassment. When it came time to color her paper, the teacher would put her hand on the paper so she didn't have to put her little stump up there so she could color without any problems. When it came time to cut out the craft, she would turn the page for the little girl so she wouldn't have to ask for help and be embarrassed. And she worked so hard that this little girl wouldn't be embarrassed that she wasn't noticing the time. And the bell rang and she was late. And so she said, oh, boys and girls, we're running late today. Let's do what we always do. Push everything to the center of the table and let's get stand together and put your hands together. Build the church and here's the steeple. And she stopped dead in her tracks. She realized in her intent not to embarrass this little girl, she had brought her to the pinnacle of embarrassment. She didn't know what to do. She just stood there. When all of a sudden she heard a little girl who was standing next to this little visitor friend. And she says, it's okay, teacher. I'll use my good hand. And she can use her good hand. And we'll build God's church together. First Christian Church, that is what God is asking you to do. To be a church that represents the bride of Christ in all of his light. And I know what I've decided. What will you decide today? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for these truths. I thank you so much for the truth that will change our lives forever and ever. I pray that we might be who you've called us to be. Transformed by your likeness. And that would be a church that brings you glory and honor forever and ever. I ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.